0: You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Radiant Church. If you're new this morning, welcome. My name is Marco and I am the lead pastor of Radiant Church. Thank you for making Radiant a part of your awesome weekend, I hope. If you're watching online, thank you for tuning in. Leave us a comment. Share this video on your newsfeed. That helps us so much to get the word out. Before we get into our message today, I want to give you and offer you just a quick for future generations update. For future generations is our building campaign, and uh, just this week, our construction site plans were officially approved by Banger Township. So that is good, good news. So we went before the planning committee committee on Wednesday night, and they approved it unanimously. And so we're very, very excited. Uh, as they gave us the green light to continue to move forward. Would you just continue to pray with me, you guys? We need more prayer. Continue to pray because every step that we take, listen, is a step closer to seeing this dream become a reality, okay? Well, today we are in part number five. This is our final installment of our message series entitled God has a name. God has a name. This message series is all about two verses in the Bible. Exodus 34, 6, and 7. This is where God's God gives his self-disclosure of himself to Moses. He reveals his character, and of course, ultimately, to all of us. The amazing thing about these verses is that they are The most quoted verses in all the Bible by the biblical writers, and they show up in the Old Testament or direct quotes or forms of it, and then there are shadows or echoes of this even in the New Testament. So it just shows up everywhere. It's pretty phenomenal. So without further ado, let's just go to those verses. If you have a Bible, you can join me. If not, I want you to pay attention. The verses will be Behind me, verses 6 and 7 of Exodus 34, here's what it says. And he passed in front of Moses, this is the Lord, of course, saying or proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet... He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. If you've been with us, or maybe you haven't been with us, let me just offer you a very, very quick summary. In week number one, we talked about God has a name, and that name is what? Yahweh or the Lord. And when he reveals his covenant name, it it means that he wants to be in relationship with us. Week number two, we talked about this idea that God is compassionate and gracious, and this is both a feelings and an action word. God has these deep feelings for all of us as kids, but he also moves into action to what? To help, to save, to rescue, to be the God that we know him to be. In week number three, we talked about God being slow to anger. Literally, that means long of nostrils. Long of nostrils. In other words, God is what? He's patient. He's like really patient though, okay? Like super patient, way more patient than I am. But the flip side of this is on the other side of that, listen, God eventually gets angry. He does. He gets angry. And his anger anger is always the right response to evil and evildoers and the injustices that we see in our world. Last week, we looked at how God is abounding in love. He's faithful, He is faithful. In other words, it, it means this, you can count on Yahweh. He's trustworthy, He won't let you down. You can count on Yahweh. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean you'll have a perfect life. It doesn't mean that your life will be without turmoil and pain and suffering. It doesn't mean that, but it does mean this that God will be faithful to you, even in the midst of your suffering and your pain and your seasons where you're just trying to figure things out, right? It seems like you took a wrong turn and things are going the opposite way that you intended them to go. God will be faithful to you in that season. Today, we're going to deal with all of verse number seven. Now, there's a lot here. I have a lot to unpack, so I need you to just kind of buckle in, all right? All right. Because there's, we're literally going to go through this almost phrase by phrase, almost word by word. Let me show you verse 7 once again so you know what we're about to get into. Here's what it says. Maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. What? What is up with that verse? Wow. You might be reading that, and you're like, okay, wait a second. Are my kids doomed because of my sin? Well, yes and no, but we'll we'll get there. Maybe some of you are like, wait a second, Pastor Marco, stop. Time out. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whatever it was, you told us. It says there that God is compassionate and gracious. So how is it How can it be compassionate when it looks like God's about to go all MMA on us, okay, or all MMA on our kids? What's up with that? Well, we're going to answer that question and then much, much more. Before we do that, can we just take a few moments to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to just open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to the teaching of His Word today. Let's pray. Father, we love you. You are good. You are merciful, Lord, and we just give you praise, and we thank you as Adam kind of led us in this morning, this song of thanksgiving, God, and our hearts are full of, of gratitude as we come together, Lord, as we worship you and listen to your word, and we just ask that you do the work that we can't do. God, we need you to open blind eyes and unlock deaf ears. Father, by the power of your spirit, we need you to soften our hardened hearts, God, because sometimes our hearts become hardened because of life's difficulties, because of the pain of life, God, the letdown of life. Lord, we need you to break up, fallow ground, as Hosea talks about in chapter 10, Lord. Break up the fallow ground of our hearts, God, so that we might leave changed and transformed, God, to, be, to look more like your son, Jesus Christ, God. We love you, and we... Um, Uh, We just ask that you just draw men, women, and children to you, even right now, God. Even in those classrooms, God, that our kids are learning in. Lord, would you draw your children to you, God? We pray this, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Okay, so we're going to deal with verse number seven today. Now, uh, church, let me just kind of open the gate by saying two things, all right? Two things to kind of set the table, set the foundation for where we're headed today. First, number one, okay, that verse, verse number seven, doesn't mean what we think it means from a glance. It doesn't, at least not in our English translations. I'll get to that later. I promise more on that later. Number two, or second, I want us to remember... Because Jesus took the scripture seriously, so should we. Because Jesus took the scripture seriously, so should we. What does that mean? That means this. That means that we don't have the freedom, and we're not at liberty, listen, to kind of like, you know, pick the verses that we like, the ones that we want to command, and just shove out, just reject the other verses that don't fit with our modern way of thinking. They don't fit with you know, secularism or our Western, you know, context that we live in here. We need to be careful that our theology of God is not just this idea of a little bit of Bible, like a couple verses here and there in a whole lot of what? A whole lot of our feelings, you know what I'm saying? A whole lot of our bias, a whole lot of Western progressivism, a whole lot of Western uh, uh, ethics, all of those things. We must be careful, listen, that we're not combining all those things, that our theology of God is not just a conglomeration, right, of a little bit of Bible and a mishmash of everything else. If we do that, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna form a God Who's a figment of our imagination? Now, how can I say that? What do I mean by that? Well, we're gonna form a God who's a figment of our imagination, and we know this because why? Because God will look just like us. God will look just like us. He'll talk like us, he'll think like us. This God that you form, listen in your own head, listen, he'll never disagree with your lifestyle. He'll never have a problem with the way that you're living your life. Why? Because you just may have formed a God in your own image. And so what we must do as we open up our hearts to verse number 7, which is like at first, like it seems pretty difficult, right? Right? We must insist to look at Scripture to learn who God is, not our feelings, right? Not what's popular, not Western ethics, okay? Not all those things, okay? And here's what we discover along the way. Yahweh might not look like the way you want him to look like all the time, okay? But here's what we discover. As we see God's true character, we realize that who God is is so much better better than who we wanted him to be. He's so much better than who we wanted him to be. The God that you come up with in your own head, that you contrive in your own, you know, little heart, listen, the one that we see in Scripture, that God, he is so much better than we expected. And so that's the reason why we need to lean into what Scripture says about who God says He is. With that in mind, okay, let's begin to take this section by section or phrase by phrase, okay? You guys ready? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Here we go. Maintaining love to thousands. Okay, so if you were here, I started to talk about this last week. Maintaining love to to thousands, okay. That Hebrew word, you might remember, is the word chesed. It shows up all over the place in the Old Testament, like I think hundreds of times, okay? It refers to God's what? Covenant loyalty. God's loyalty. His faithful loyalty to us as believers, to those who call upon the name of the Lord. And that word maintaining, though, in the Hebrew, is the word natsar. And Natsar means this, to protect, to watch over, or guard. Now listen, I'm going to do a lot of this today, but I promise I'm going to put all the pieces together for you, okay? We're going to put it all together. This is the idea here. When it says maintaining love to thousands, it's the idea that God what? He watches Over, he protects, he guards his loving faithfulness over us. He guards that covenant loyalty over us. And that is really good news. Let me just give you a couple of examples. And while I do this, I want you to notice, I want you to pick up. Here's what you're going to hear, here's what you're going to see echoes of Exodus 34. Let me show you. Psalm 40, verse 11. Psalmist says this Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness, there you see it again, right? You see those ideas? Love and faithfulness, protect me, not sorrow me. There's that word showing up there. Psalm 61.7, may he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness. There it is again, to not sorrow, to Protect me. So God is protecting his covenant love for us. And this is, again, really good news. Now, uh, his, he maintains his covenant loyalty to thousands. Now, some of your um, translations say to thousands of generations. There's a nuance there between some of those that have generations and those that don't. Now, we're going to get into that a little bit later. So that nuance is super important, okay? So just hold on to that because we will come back to that a bit later, okay? The point of this opening line here is that the scope of God's love, the scope of his his loyalty towards us, his faithfulness is what? It's boundless. It's limitless. It's massive. This is kind of the idea that God's love just abounds much. It's unlimited, Let's push forward to the second part. It says this: forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. I want to focus in on that word for a few moments. Forgiving. And sometimes we think, um, sometimes we think that this idea of forgiveness only shows up in the New Testament. Like it's a, like it's a new thing with Jesus. That is the furthest thing from the truth, though. That is wrong theology. We must abandon that because this idea of forgiveness is throughout the entirety of the biblical narrative. In fact, listen to this. That word forgiving or a word just like it shows up 658 times in the Bible before Jesus. So if you're here and you're like, oh, I thought, I thought like God in the Old Testament was always angry and crotchety and like in the New Testament, it's like the gentler, kinder version. He's always handing out candy to kids and everything like that, and everybody loves him, right? Wrong, wrong, right? The, the idea of forgiveness shows up. Listen, throughout the entirety of Scripture, the Hebrew word for forgive in the Hebrew is nasa. Here's what it means: to lift up, to carry, to take away. That's what forgive means in the Old Testament: to lift up, to carry, to take away. Here's what we see. This is a beautiful picture of what we come to see, what we come to expect, and who? In Jesus. John chapter 1, let me give you an example. John 1, I think it's 29, verse 29 or so. John the Baptist, right? He sees Jesus coming in the distance, and what does he say? He says, behold, look, the Lamb of God. And then notice notice this definition, who takes away the sin of the world. This is a beautiful picture of what we see is coming in and through Jesus, the work of Jesus, the God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's look at that second part of the line. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. I think it's noteworthy that the Scripture mentions all three of these words. Like it could have just said forgiving sin, right? And that would have been good. That's like, okay, good news. Like that's good news for all of us. But what does the text say? Wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is like the idea that this is covering the whole gamut of sin. And by the way, there's all kinds of sin, okay? Just so you know. And I'm sure if you can think of it, that's sin, right? If God can forgive it. So this is answering that, this idea that this covers a whole gamut of sin. Now, I'm not going to give you a bunch of slides for each of these words, but I'll just tell them to you. I don't want to overwhelm you. Wickedness is the Hebrew word for, it's avon. Avon is literally bad behavior. Bad behavior. And then when you get to rebellion, it's the Hebrew word, Hebrew word pesha, okay? Pesha, or pesha, rather. And that really means to what? To break the law to break the law. And then finally, the word sin in the Hebrew, it's the word hatah, hatah. And what does that mean? It's not even a moral word. The word hatah literally means to miss the mark. It speaks of an archer who, you know, winds up his bow, is shooting an arrow, and then what? Misses the target. Think of the idea that we see in Romans. Paul says that all have sinned and fallen short. We've falling short of his glory, or some translations say of his standard. Hata, to sin, to miss the mark. And again, this is the way God shows us the whole gamut of sin. Now, the point of all this is that God forgives sin of all shapes and sizes, okay? He forgives sin of all shapes and sizes. I, I want to show you something from the prophet Micah, and this gives us a picture of the forgiveness of God, even in the Old Testament. Micah 7, verse 18 through 20, says this, Who is a God like you? I love that opening line. Like, who's like you? No one's like you, God. Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. He says this, You do not stay angry forever. Because remember, we talked about this. He gets angry. It happens eventually, but not forever. Not forever. But delight to show mercy. Mercy. You will have compassion on us. You will tread on our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob. I mean, can you hear like the shadows of Exodus 34 in here? Like, it's all over. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. God forgives sin. I know that feels like a trite statement. I know that feels like cliche, like, yeah, I'm in church. Of course, the pastor would say that. But I want to hang out here for just a few more moments, okay? It may seem trite, but it's not when it comes to sin forgiveness rather when it comes to forgiveness and sin there are two camps there are two different camps okay the first camp are those people those individuals in our culture in our world who feel like they don't need to be forgiven like they haven't sinned like they they've done nothing wrong literally there are people in our culture and, and you know this this is not like new to any of us listen that flat out deny that we fall short of God's glory and that we've all been born with this inner brokenness known as what? As a sinful nature. Like they just deny it, like just non-existent. And so what we see at large in our society today, and, and, and and again, like I'm preaching to the choir, are people who don't put their faith in God, but rather they put their faith in what? Politics? Science, education, and technology. Not in God, but in all those things I just listed. Well, well, why? Why would they put their faith in those things? Well, the idea is this, is that so many in our culture are attempting to build a utopian society absent of God. In other words, what? Heaven here on earth without God. Come on, does this make sense to any of you? You see this, right? Do you see this? Three people? Uh, Okay. Mark Sayers, cultural commentator, he's a Christian, says this, that so many in our world today, they want the kingdom without the king. Does that make sense now? Here's what, here's what, here's what, church, come on, lean in a little bit. Here's what, just turn on the news. What do you see? Tolerance! Love everybody! Love is love! Let's all get along! Peace! Everybody's equal, everything! Oh, Jesus? No, I don't want that. I don't want him. I don't want the ethics of Jesus, but I want everything that characterizes the kingdom of God. Here's the thing. If you can't even admit that you're a sinner, you can't receive forgiveness. Here's my thing. Church, this is so important because, because I see this even in the church. It's like, hey, I come to church and I got the I got I get a little I get a little tingly feeling in my heart like, ooh, got something there, Ooh, ooh right And I ooh feel a little bad, feel a little bad, but not too bad, but a little bad. Good word, pastor, and then peace, I'm out. And then what I mean it's like, no, 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 that's not reaching out for forgiveness though, right is we think that if we've heard something and it makes us feel a little, you know, tingly in the, in the inside, butterflies I mean, whatever you want to call that, we think, listen, that, like, that's good enough, but then we leave those doors and nothing changes. Nothing changes about the way that we live our lives, right? And we can't, for, we can't receive forgiveness if we're so busy blaming other people and we're not, we, we don't, no matter uh, what the consequences are, They will continue to sin. And I want to remind you this morning, listen, if we refuse to even admit that we're sinful, we cannot receive Yahweh's forgiveness. Forgiveness is like a gift, you guys. It's like you got to reach out. Like you got to take the box, you got to open it. And what? You you got to receive it. You can't just be like, man, I kind of felt something there. But I'm out. All right, see you. It's like, what's happening with the state of Christianity where even those who are coming to church are so calloused, they can't humble themselves to what? To say, "I, I messed up, I've sinned, I am in habitual sin. And so I just want to encourage you as your pastor today, I don't know where all of you are at. I do know that we get a lot of visitors here at Radiant Church. I do know that there are a lot of lost people who are starting to come to Radiant Church. I do know there are a lot of seekers coming to Radiant Church looking for truth. And if that's you this morning, I just want to encourage you, listen, to reach out and to to grab on to Yahweh's forgiveness. Yes. Let me encourage you. Right? Don't, Don't justify don't excuse and don't blame shift. Just own up to it. Own up that you are a sinner, that you've grieved the heart of God, you need forgiveness. And in this last piece, without his forgiveness, your end is death and darkness. It's not popular, but it's the truth. Your end is death and complete darkness without Yahweh's forgiveness. Let's keep going. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. So this is really great. So we see here in the text, Yahweh is forgiving, and we all love that verse. We're like, woo, he's forgiving. Yay, right? But what? He does not leave the guilty unpunished. In other words, God doesn't leave the guilty off the hook. Like, God doesn't just wink at sin, Jesus, guess what? Here's what the Bible says. Jesus will eventually return, and he will judge the living and the dead. Both of them. Dead people, that's right. He'll judge the living and the dead. The day of the Lord is what that's called in Scripture. It's a day of terror and fear for some, but for God's people, it's a a day of hope and rejoicing. Jesus will eventually judge... The living and the dead. God will meet out justice. And I want to just talk about this for a few moments here. Here's the thing about God's justice, okay? God's end goal here is a world that's without evil. That's his end goal. So when we think about God's justice, I don't want you to think this is about retribution. This is about God getting even with his enemies. It's, it's not really about that. It's, the end goal is actually the healing and the renewal of the world. A world without evil, a world without addiction, a world without sex trafficking, right? A world uh, without addiction, a world without depression, anxiety, mental illness, a a world without divorce, a world without betrayal, a world without the breakdown of the family, a world without fatherless children, because that's a huge issue today, massive, and God is after a world without evil. So you're like, oh, I don't know about this God's justice thing. I'm offended, Pastor. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You should be like, this is the right and good thing. Okay? Can I just ask you, listen, how many of you, how many of you want to live in a world like that without evil? Just shoot your hand up. Yeah, me too. <laughs> totally. I want to live in a world without evil. And you can if you're a follower of Jesus, and you will. You will, right? Because why? Because Yahweh is just. He's just. And can I just tell you that we all deeply crave Yahweh's justice? All of us. It's it's intrinsic in who we are. Like, we crave, like, we want, we long for God to come and make everything wrong, make it right. To come and eliminate every bad thing, right? All cancer and sickness and Hatred and racism and everything disgusting. We want God to eliminate all those things because why? Because Yahweh is just and we're made in Yahweh's image. So what about this idea, right? What about this idea? Okay, he's just, he's forgiving. But what about Yahweh punishing our kids? Okay, what's up with that, Pastor Marco? Well, let's go there says this, he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents. Okay. Well, for starters, I told you we'd come back to this. For starters, it can't mean what it sounds like at face value. Again, at least not in our English translations. It can't mean what we think it means, okay? That God punishes kids for their parents' sins. How do you know that? Well, remember, when you're interpreting Scripture, what is the best tool you have to interpret Scripture. Scripture. All right, so let me show you. Uh, just a, a little while later, Moses actually says something pretty much the opposite of what we just read in Exodus 34, verse 7 here. Let me show you. Deuteronomy twenty-four sixteen says this. Parents are not to be put to death for their children. Well, Thank God for that. Come on, someone say amen to that one. <laughs> Woo! Because I almost put my kids to death the other day. Just saying. Come on, someone. Can I get a witness in the house? A little bit of confession for your pastor. <laughs> nor, <laughs> nor children put to death for their parents, which is good news for some of our kids, right? It says this: "Each will die for their own sin." OK, so okay, like, was Moses like, contradicting himself here? Like what's going on? Well, let's look at also what Jeremiah the prophet says in Jeremiah 32: 18 and 19. and notice that when Jeremiah speaks, it's almost a commentary. To Exodus 34, 6 and 7. That's nuts. That is the coolest thing in the world when a biblical writer will have a commentary on something else in the Bible. That is so that is so cool. Anyways, here's what it says: You show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. Great and mighty God whose name is the Lord Almighty, I think it's El Shaddai there, great are your purposes and mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. So again, God's not like saying, okay, like, hey, your father jacked everything up, so. Okay, okay. What does this mean then, okay? What does verse number seven, what is it trying to get at then? The answer is kind of layered, okay? So there's a few answers here. And I want to give you some ways to look at this, okay? Here's the first way. And I just want to say it's about to get a little heavy right now, all right? Especially for the parents, myself included. Kind of layer number one says this. The parents' sins, sin has consequences for the children's future, so we must take sin seriously. It's gonna get heavy for a few moments, so just bear with me. Example A, let me give you an example. And honestly, this is like, this is logical. This is the logical flow of the text, honestly. It's like, all of us would be like, well, duh, that that makes sense, right? So let's just say mom and dad are, um, they got a meth lab in their basement. Okay? Eventually, mom and dad get busted. Cops come in and break the doors down, right? Machine guns and everything, and they're like, they arrest mom and dad. Mom and dad go to jail. Let me ask you a question, church. Who suffers for the sins of mom and dad? The children. The children. They're going to suffer for what mom and dad have done. Let's bring it closer to home. A little closer. I'm going to get up in your grill a little bit more. So just let's say, listen, every night, and I'm not talking about lemonade or Coke. I'm talking about alcoholic beverage. Every night you drink. Every night it's two, three, four, right? It's, it's in excess to, to what you know you can handle. I mean, you're, 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 you're moving into drunkenness, like clearly, mom or dad every night and then and you you've been doing this for years 5 years 10 years 20 years whatever can i ask you a question is this going to affect your kids or yes or no okay yes absolutely yes your kids who have grown up watching you do that are going to more likely guess what do the same thing every night they will drink in excess they are much more prone to what to becoming alcoholics. Why? Because who was their model? Dad. Mom. Now you can fill in the blank with that. It doesn't have to be alcohol, it can be drugs, it can be anything else. And there's a bazillion things you can fill in the blank there with. Who pays the consequences for our sin? It's our kids, right? Our kids. Well why is that? Because here's the idea: is that our lives are more caught than taught. Our lives are more caught than taught. So kids are watching. Our kids are watching us, right? This is the hardest thing by far (laughs) for what it means to be a parent. Another example, if mom and dad get a divorce, the children suffer the fallout. I mean, commitment issues, um, lack of trust in the future, Uh, I mean, just you name it, the kids will go through. Mental illness, depression, I mean, the fallout, right? When parents sin, the children are collateral damage, okay? Can you see the pattern here? This is what the text is referring to, okay? So now you're thinking like, oh, (laughs) you just beat me up for like the last three minutes. Like, can you give me something, like a sunshine or something, like... Can you leave me on a bit of a higher note, Pastor Marco? I can, and I will. But we should take our sins seriously. How do we then take verse number seven and begin to apply it to our hearts? How do we begin to apply it to our lives then? Because I think most of us are reading this and we're like, eek, right? Eek, like like everything inside of us. Like maybe for you it's your anger. Maybe for you it's your, your anxiety. Maybe for you it is alcohol. I don't know. But that, that thing, whatever it is for you, I, I can have a short temper, if I can be honest with you, and I gotta be real careful. Like, that, I, I don't want my kids growing up always seeing daddy get angry, just like ready to fly off the handle. Like, I have to, I have to really work hard on be, being conscious, uh, conscious of my anger, right? Because I don't want my kids to what? To grow up angry. So how do we take the truth of verse seven and apply it to our hearts? We take it this way. We can do this. The most important gift you can give your kids is your character. The most important gift that you can give your kids is your character. It's not the money. It's not a bougie house. It's not the car. It's not a new jacket or the Jordans. None of that matters. It's nice. But the best gift, the most important gift you can give your kids is your Christ-like character. It's your Christ-like character. They're watching you. They're watching you. If it's your anger, if it's your belittling someone, guess what? They're going to belittle that person too. Because why? Because mommy does it. Daddy does it. They're just going to copy you. Why? Because that's what they've learned, right? That's what they learned. The best way to shape your kids is through our Christ-like character. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be perfect because we're going to fall short of that. I mean, absolutely, but own up to your mistakes, right? We have to own up to our mistakes. Admit when we've sinned, when we've messed it all up, and confess that to our kids and apologize when we need to apologize. Daddy was not the best example. I'm sorry, son. Sometimes daddy gets angry, and I'm working on it, and I'm feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and I need you to pray for daddy. But I struggle too, and I don't want you to be like me. The idea and the reality is this, is that sin splashes. So my son is taking private lessons right now to learn how to swim. He's six years old. And so I get in the water with him at the Y, and I'm just there kind of for comfort. Um, And he, this Friday, uh, we had a lesson with him in the afternoon. And, of course, I was in the water with him. And he, you know, he had one of those, um, those boards with, like, you can put your hands in them. And then you can kick your feet, and it keeps you afloat. And so, he was doing that, and he was doing, he was doing great. And he was, the instructor was like, "Splash with your feet, splash, splash with your feet." And he splashed. the water's like splashing all over, daddy. And he's like, you know, he's laughing. He's like, "Yeah, get your daddy, get your daddy." And the water's like, "I'm like, okay, chill out a little bit here." But the but the idea is this: it's like, since splashes, right? And, and 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 who's that water hit? It doesn't hit everybody in the pool. It hits. The person, he, he's closest to you. So here's what happens, parents. Listen, and I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now, for real. Like, sin splashes and it always splashes to the people that we love the most. Shhh. Anger, Shhh. drug addiction, Shhh. anxiety, Shhh. absence. Shhh. I mean, you, you name it, you name it. unbelief. You name it, right? You name it. And it splashes to who? To that little girl, that little boy. Mommy is always nervous. Mommy is always freaking out. What do I need to be freaked out about? Huh, I guess there's something I should be really worried about and really concerned about. Daddy drinks all the time. I guess that's the way you cope with difficulties in life. I guess I'll start drinking too, right? Mommy does this. Daddy can't control his mouth. I mean, it's just I mean, we can just fill it in, right, left and right. But listen, I don't want to leave you in a place where you feel like you're getting beat up, okay? Let me offer you some hope, okay? Sin splashes, yes, and it hits the people that we love most. But here, church, is the good news, and I need you to make some noise. Here's the good news. You can break the cycle of sin. Come on. You can break the cycle of sin of sin. You can. Yes, you can. You can. It takes thought. It takes prayer. It takes intentionality. And it takes the power of the Holy Spirit. But listen, what was true for your mom and dad doesn't have to be true for you. What was true with grandpa and grandma, and they had a problem over here, and they had an addiction over here, and there was sexual abuse over here, doesn't have to be true for you and your family. You can choose. You can break the cycle through by the power of the Spirit of the living God. There is that choice. And every day you have to make that choice. Every day. You don't have the choice to be passive in it. I've tried tried that route, and it doesn't work. You have to choose, even when you don't want to, even when it's inconvenient, even when you don't feel it. You have to choose to show up. To be present in the home. To choose righteousness over the sin that so easily entangles. But you can break the cycle of addiction. How so? How so, Pastor Marco, bring your sin to Jesus? Repent, and then what? And then watch the handcuffs start to fall off. Watch the chains start to, to cling to the ground. By not holding it in, not saying, well, I, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, well, it was my grandma who was like that. No, by owning up, by saying, you know what, I'm angry just like my dad was. I'm not present because my dad wasn't present. Owning up to it and bringing it to Jesus. And all of a sudden what happens? Like, I mean, I can't, I can't wave a magic wand over you, but chains start to loosen up, right? And they start to fall off and you... The more you do that, the more you choose, the more you show up and you choose righteousness. They they, they get looser and looser, and and eventually, right, what do you do? You break free. You break free. Church, I want to encourage you. You don't have to walk in the generational sin of your family. The next line leads me to this, to the third and fourth generation. Now, this is a, just give me like two minutes. We're going to nerd out for a second. To the third and fourth generation. Okay, so in the NIV, that's what it says generation. But in the Hebrew, there's no generation word there. I mean, you can even look it up in the interlinear. It'll say generation and nothing underneath it. So why is that, there, that word there? Well, the translators put that word there for our sake so that we could understand. Hebrew scholars have this. They agree that there's something going on in the text. It's this Hebrew poetic device. I don't quite understand it totally, but the idea is this: is that in verse seven, whatever you put at the at the first at the end of the first part of the phrase, like generations, you have to put it on the last part of it. Okay, so let let me give you an example. So this will make sense. So you could say this: maintaining love to thousands of Generations, right? Dot, 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 dot. Punishes sin to the third and fourth. Okay. So there you've, you've used the word generation twice. Or, or you can just remove it. So it could sound like this. Maintaining left to thousands. Dot, dot, dot. Punishes sin to the third and fourth. There's no generations there, okay? Okay, so where do we see this in Scripture? Well, let me show you again here. Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6. I know it's a bit nerdy, but it's important. Verse number 5. You shall not bow down to them to worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation, notice it's underlined, of those who hate me, but showing love to thousand generations. There it is again. Of those who love me and keep my commandments. There you see the, the word shows up twice there because it's this... Hebrew poetic device, okay? So what is this saying to us then? What is this trying to illustrate? Here's what it's trying to illustrate. It's trying to tell us, it's showing us that God is just. Yes, yes, he's just. But here's the good news, church. His mercy is more weighted than his judgment. His mercy, right, is more weighted than judgment. I want you to think of a picture of a scale, Okay, there's one behind me. Now, if you were to take that scale and on your right hand side, you place three or like three pebbles. Well, naturally, what's going to happen, right? It starts to go to one side, okay? You've got three small rocks there. Now, let's say on the other side, you pour a bag of a thousand rocks. That's the picture God wants us to see that his mercy outweighs his judgment by a thousand. Is he just? You better believe he's just. Will he punish sin? You better believe he'll punish sin. But his mercy outweighs his judgment. That is incredible. Here's what James says James says this in the New Testament mercy triumphs over judgment. It's the picture of who our God is mercy triumphs over judgment. God has been and will be merciful to you when you repent. And if you're not following Jesus, listen, you can be forgiven if you choose to repent. That's amazing. But, but you still may be thinking, wait, how, how is this possible, though? Because you both said that he punishes sin, but then he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. Well, let me just put it to you like this. Where do we see God's mercy and judgment connect in a beautiful harmony. Anybody? The cross. I heard someone say it. The cross. That's the place where we see the mercy of God and his judgment in one place. Connected. Perfectly. Watch. Paul, Romans 3.25. He says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because God is righteous, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Okay, we get that part. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just in the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. It's a picture of the cross. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying that at the cross, It is an expression of Yahweh's mercy. In other words, it's his way of what? Of forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Exodus 34. But the cross of Jesus is also an expression of God's what? Justice. He did not, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. Again, Exodus 34. Those two what? Meet perfectly at the cross. At the cross, of Jesus Christ. We can say it like this, the, reconcilia- the reconciliation of God's mercy and justice in the death of Jesus is the ultimate expression of God's character. What does that mean? That means this, that God doesn't wink at sin, but then who does he punish? Not me and not you, Jesus. Jesus takes our punishment. You mean God takes it out on himself, essentially. His own son. So we don't have to pay the consequences. We don't have to bear the weight of our sin. And yet God is just. He's And the justifier. And we see it perfectly at the cross of Christ Jesus. What? He dies the death that we deserved. He lives the life that we could not live, which is a life without sin. This is Why the cross of Jesus is such a beautiful thing because I can't think of a better way to to end our series than saying, look at Exodus 34, 6, and 7 because it points to the cross. It's pointing to Jesus all day long. Like it's pointing to Jesus all day long. This is incredible. This is a beautiful way to end our series, right? And God punishes sin. But Jesus takes our punishment. He stood in our place. And so as we get ready to wrap up here in just a moment, there's a lot of ideas that I brought forth to you during the message. and I want to just kind of like summarize them quickly as we kind of apply these truths to our heart, our hearts, okay? Here's what it means for you and I. I think it essentially means three things, three things. Number one, it means this, it means that if you need forgiveness, if you need, if you're weighed down with the consequences of your rebellion and your sin and your your wickedness to reach out and take the gift that God has to offer, listen, and receive it today. Don't, don't just leave and, and pretend like everything's okay. Don't, you, you have to admit that you've sinned. You can go to church. I don't care if you go to church. Either to Satan. Because you can go and play the game all you want. But you have to admit where you fall short. I'm that angry man. I need forgiveness. I'm that alcoholic. I'm addicted to porn. I've got, yeah, whatever it is. I mean, what, what, I means a million things. A million things. But you have to admit it to receive Yahweh's forgiveness. Number two, here's what this means. It, it means this. It means that because you can be forgiven in Jesus Christ you must also forgive others you must also forgive others you have to forgive because why because you've been forgiven can i just tell you right now i'm going to be blunt there's only two options number one option number one you hold on to bitterness and resentment and it eats you away and it destroys your life forever and you take it to the grave option number two you forgive and find freedom those are the only options that's it there's no middle ground Option number one, you hold on to bitterness and it eats you like a cancer. Option number two, you forgive and you find freedom. You experience his freedom and you leave room for what? The wrath of God. You leave room for what? For God to judge justly. And finally, number three, I think the, the, the third way we can apply this to our lives is this, is, is again, you don't have to live with generational curses or generational sin patterns you can break free from that today you can break free from that today again it's going to take thought it's going to take a lot of intentionality it's going to take a lot of prayer it's going to take the power of the holy spirit but you can break the cycle of sin in your family you don't have to live with daddy's sin and mommy's sin you don't have to live with grandpapa and grandmama's sin and their sinful habits. You don't have to. Mom wasn't there for you. That doesn't have to be the case for you, though. Dad wasn't there for you, but that doesn't have to be your story, though, okay? Mom was a coke addict, but that doesn't have to be your story, though. Dad was an alcoholic, but that's not your story. You can break free from it today. Here's what we're going to do. If you're here, and that's, that's one of those three areas applies to you, right? You need, you need forgiveness you need to forgive someone else, or you want to break the habit, the pattern of sin in your life, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to be brave. I'm going to count to three, and I want you to stand up. And when you stand up, I want you to do this as a sign of your surrender, as a sign of your humility. I want you to stand up, and I want you to lift up hands as a sign of surrender. So I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, if you're in one of those three camps, or all three of them, listen, I want you to stand up and I want you to lift your hands in the air and we're gonna, I'm gonna pray for you and we're by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're gonna ask God to break chains to bring forgiveness and that you might find freedom. One, two, three. Go ahead and stand up right now if that's you. Don't be shy. Come on, begin to lift hands in the air. Don't be shy, don't be shy. All over this room. Come on, first service, there's tons of people all over the room. Come on, you're saying, Pastor Marco, you're saying, more importantly, you're saying, Lord, I wanna receive what you have for me. Come on, let's pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you, God. We thank you, and we pray that forgiveness would flood this room, God, all across this room, even to the those who are watching online. God, we receive forgiveness because we know that Jesus paid, paid it all. He paid the penalty for my sin. Today, Jesus, we choose to forgive. God, we know we were hurt, we were used, we were abused. But we don't want to live with resentment. We don't want to live with bitterness. God, set me free. God, set us free today in Jesus' name. And finally, God, we pray, Lord, that today we would choose to break the cycle of sin in our in our, in our lives, in our family's lives, God. Our mama's story, our daddy's story, doesn't have to be our story. We break generational sin by choosing Jesus, by choosing to repent. Right now, God, would you bring freedom to your people? A few more moments. Come on. Even right now, you can begin to say, I I receive it right now. I say, I receive your forgiveness, Lord. I receive mercy right now. I receive freedom, Jesus. Right now, all across this room. God, we thank you for the work and the power of your spirit that we would leave, listen, and not be the same, but changed and transformed and conformed to the image of Christ, God. So do the work that is pleasing to you, we pray. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen, amen. Come on, let's clap our hands. That's good news today. Good news.